This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Jonathan Fisher. Dr. Fisher, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do today. Hi, thank you so much for having me today, Scott. I'm really excited to be here with you. I'm a practicing clinical cardiologist seeing between two and 3,000 patients each year. And I'm also a mindfulness meditation teacher. And in that context, I've now joined the human experience team at a large multi-state healthcare organization in the Southeast, helping to improve the lives of the physicians, nurses, patients, and also help with executive training. So, so fantastic. So a cardiologist by day, meditator by day, part of the human experience team as well. What are you loving about what you do today? What, what is sort of like when you say, when you wake up in the morning and say, and, and I know you have to be excited about all of it, but, but how have you been able to keep yourself centered, excited? What, what excites you about what you're doing? So as a heart doctor, I find a unity in what I'm doing, even though I wear many different hats during the day. So 90% of what I do is take care of heart patients. So this morning I saw my clinic patients and I've got patients with heart rates in the 20s and heart rates in the 180s that shouldn't be. And I just love taking care of them and being a diagnostician. On the flip side, uh, I'm now finding myself helping people take care of their emotional hearts. Uh, And that started with my own heart. So this for me was born about 15 years ago when I found myself in a very difficult position in the role of a doctor where medicine didn't seem the way that it was when my father was a physician in a small town in 1958. I have seen a lot of disconnection in medicine. And so when I get up each morning, I get excited to help people connect with each other, help patients and doctors and doctors and administrators. And and, and when you talk about that connection between patients and their physicians and and, and, and fighting this burnout, because coming to work each day in almost whatever business you're in, whatever you do, and having that excitement to talk to your, call it colleague, customer, patient, whoever it might be, that should come with a positive mindset that day. I'm excited to talk to this and visit this patient rather than, oh my God, I'm so sick of this. How do you keep that mindset and how do you help people keep that mindset so you can come to it? You're never going to come to it every single day in that perfect mode of I'm ready to help. But how do you help people get to a better spot so doing it more and more? So I, I think we all, all of us physicians, especially nurses, have a natural desire to connect with our patients. It's why we went into this. We are some of the most passionate caregivers in the world. And yet, why is it that we find ourselves so disconnected and alone? And so the way that I encourage people to overcome that sensation of burnout or to kind of recommit themselves each day is I start with the discomfort, the pain and what's missing. And we know that a key element of burnout is isolation. Providers feel alone, often don't feel listened to, don't feel respected, and we feel disconnected with our core purpose doing this in the first place. So for me, it's a matter of each day saying, why am I doing this? I'm trying to help people alleviate suffering, and also bring some joy into people's lives. So my own personal practice is that before I knock on any patient's door, I use the sound of the knocking as a reminder to myself. There's a living, breathing person behind that door who probably is afraid, probably has anxiety, 
And even though this might be routine for me, this could be the most important moment in the world for them. So for me, it's a matter of constantly reminding myself. And as far as why would other people be interested in these techniques and learning how to do this better, it comes from a place of helping doctors enjoy their jobs more. And I've found that burnout is reduced when we rekindle that sense of purpose, which is really about connecting with people. And so speak about how you do that. How do you rekindle that desire, that positive? How do you do it yourself? And then what's your best, best advice for other people doing it? So I think the key is that we all have that natural desire. I always start with, well, what gets in the way? So Scott, when I look at what gets in the way, we have a healthcare system that puts up several barriers. And we know the key drivers of burnout today based on some of the work with Tate Shanafelt at Stanford and Mayo Clinic um, and Karen Maslach. And we know that the drivers are number one, organizational leadership. Another big driver is inefficiency in the office and workflow and EMR that often gets in the way. Uh, another big workflow uh, issue is an imbalance of the time that we have to our own families and to our children and our hours can be extensive. So the first key for me, Scott, is how do I get through it as I recognize I can't change all of those things. I can't change healthcare myself. But what I can do each day is change my attitude when I'm in an environment that I feel like, maybe I feel like I'm drowning. Well, instead, I take an attitude, you know what? I may be, <laughs> I may be in the water, but at least I'm at the front of the pack and I can see the challenges ahead and maybe make a small dent. So uh, the first thing is setting a mindset that I am not hopeless here, even though a lot of, lot of providers today feel hopeless. It's a matter of unlearning that and learning again to have a sense of uh, personal power in the choices that we make. It's just some feeling of control. And how do you get others to feel that way, to take that advice? I mean, physicians are terrifically known as are all professionals. There's an old saying, you could always tell a Harvard person, you just can't tell that person much. And the same often goes for physicians. How do you get them to sort of like, because you can't give them top-down advice. How do you get them to take this advice and talk about this advice and get them sort of on board with it so they'll implement it? Do they have to come from a spot of really wanting to find this? Or how, do, how, do you, how do you connect? So, so Scott, it, for me, I take kind of a marketing mindset. And I have a very different approach. Even the language that I use, even whether I emphasize the science and the data or whether I emphasize the human heart element depends on whether I'm speaking to executives, physicians, nurses, or patients. But if you're asking specifically about physicians, anytime I speak to a group, I already know that about 20% of my colleagues are going to be sitting there with their arms folded saying, this isn't for me. 20% are on board saying, please help me with these techniques which work. And then there's that middle ground. And I think you're asking, how do we address them? I always start from a place of what's not working for you right now? What, what challenges are you facing? And usually it's, I'm not happy at work. I'm having difficulty at home with my marriage. I don't have enough time with my kids. And so then I have something to work with, Scott, where I can say, okay, there are techniques and there are mindset practices that we can get into that will help you feel like you're not missing your life anymore, which you've been doing for the last 10 or 20 years. And, and with those in that 20% that have their arms folded and are resistant, what position do you take? Do you essentially 
because you don't want to hit them over the head with it. And, and trying to get somebody to do something different when they don't want to do it is near impossible. Are you able to just breathe and focus on the other 80%? Or how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, so part of it is leading by example. So sometimes colleagues will come up to me and say, why is it that you don't seem particularly stressed out? Or why is it that you're the one who's getting hugs from your patients when the rest of us may be kind of rustly going down the hallway? So some of it is not trying to push this on anybody, just inviting people, saying there's a whole science out there called positive psychology for the last 40 years, which helps people readjust their mindset. There's a practice called mindfulness, which has been around for over 2,000 years, which helps people live better lives. So that's part of it. But Scott, if, I, if I'm meeting with a group of docs whose arms are folded in the audience, and I can see that they're skeptical, I'll just start with some facts. I'll ask them, uh, among radiologists, when I speak to them, for instance, what percentage of lawsuits against radiologists are due to not paying attention versus making decisional errors? And the answer is 80%. So people's ears start to perk up and they say, well, how can I pay attention better with all these distractions? And then I go into these techniques of mindfulness meditation. That would be one example. Another example, Scott, is out of the Cleveland Clinic. They studied how long does a typical doctor wait before they interrupt the patient that they're with? And you and I both know it's probably a half a minute or a minute or so. And the reason is we feel like we're rushed. We've got seven minutes out of a 15-minute slot. But the science shows that if we spend more time listening to our patients, we are more likely to be perceived as empathic and caring, have a better connection with our patients, have fewer lawsuits, so less liability, and we're also likely to have a patient who's more compliant. So that's how I would approach docs, particularly who are skeptical of all this. Well, why should I be empathic? Why should I practice compassion? I kind of get at it from that angle. And, and, and let me ask you a different question. You know, there's, there's obviously today tremendous stress in the medical profession. There's not enough physicians and providers for the number of the population that we have. This is a problem that's being exasperated. A question for you about when a stressful thing happens like this coronavirus. Would this imbue physicians with a sense of purpose and lead them to be a little bit less disenchanted because they're so clearly needed so badly, or will this be just another peg that leads to more burnout, or is it just really personal, person by person? I think it really depends on where you're sitting right now. So in this country, about 50% of all physicians are burnt out by most criteria. So if you're asking about a doc who's already burnt out, which means they may be abusing substances, they may have marital conflicts, I think this is going to be kind of a, a big challenge facing something like coronavirus. On the other hand, if you look at the other 50% who are kind of doing fairly well, they are in a position where they can reconnect with, yeah, this is my purpose. This is why I'm here. This is a moment of need, and I'm going to step forward and help out. So I think it kind of depends what the mindset is right now. And isn't it magnificent, quite frankly, to have that skill set where you could actually be helpful in a time of need where so many people don't have that exact same skill set, even though they can be helpful in different ways. So it, it, it does become an opportunity, even though it's such a scary and, and horrific thing and there's so much burnout as well. Well, Scott, I can remember, you know, when 9-11 happened, I was in New York City and 
the instinct of all of my colleagues was to run as fast as possible to the emergency rooms, to any hospital, see if we could help out. And I, and I think that's the same instinct today, and maybe what you're getting at, that with a crisis like this hits, we want to dig deep into our medical training, we want to keep calm, and we want to try to guide the public to think calmly and rationally, uh, particularly to the, to the experts here. Well, and, and, and I think exactly right. People need a calling, they need a purpose in life. And one of the great challenges of burnout is that physicians are overwhelmed, they feel more like a cog in the wheel versus the actually someone who he has control of their situation and so forth. Mm-hmm. So you've got this tremendous level of sort of, um, of burnout that's sort of structural and systemic. And in some ways, you can get out of that situation and into the spot where you have this great calling and purpose again. You know, maybe that rings in resonance with some people and is helpful, even just in, an, in a, obviously, a, you know, some of the best is brought out of people in crisis situations. And I think we'll see a lot of that with physicians because there's so many, I mean, a magnificent provider community in our country. I, I do want to take one more second. Human experience team. Mm-hmm. What is a human experience team? It, 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 you know, I can infer, but tell us what, what a human experience team is. So human experience really talks about how do we get our employees to engage, particularly whether you're talking about providers, physicians, APPs, nurses, or even general staff. So what are the forces of disengagement? And typically it's because people either don't have a sense of agency or power over their daily life, they don't feel connected with others, and they don't feel a sense of competence, like they're doing what they were meant to be doing. So human experience team sets out a variety of programs, whether it's coaching one-on-one, it could be group programs. I do programs of onboarding all new hires for this corporation, uh, 50 to 100 people each quarter. Um, and then there's also online training. So any possible resource we can develop that helps improve the culture of connection so that the care we give is the best possible care. That's considered the human experience in medicine right now. Thank you. And I'm going to ask you one other question. The meditation part of what you do, how do you meditate and how were you able to get started on it successfully? And how often do you do it? And how does it work for you? I know my son could do it for 10, 20 minutes. You know, me after 30, 60 seconds, I want to go to my phone. And I have the hardest time sitting still and doing it for a long time. <laughs> That's yeah. totally normal, Scott. That's totally normal. That's my experience when I first started. Um, so I turned to meditation when I was facing severe burnout. And I was ready to leave medicine about 12 years ago. And I just Googled, how do I reduce my stress? And I literally listened to an audio cassette for about eight minutes and I couldn't make it past a minute. So I view it like training. If you want to get fit at the gym, you have to go to the gym every day. And so you start by doing one minute a day and then two minutes to the point where 10 years later, I spent seven days in total silence at a Zen monastery. That was two years ago. Uh, And I'm going to be returning uh, next month for another one week of silent meditation. And that could be 10 or 12 hours a day of just sitting or standing. So there's a whole spectrum. Tell me about that. 10 to 12 hours a day of meditation. I mean, how do you survive that? (laughs) Um, Some people don't. uh, But for the most part, about halfway through, you start to wonder, am I losing my mind? Am I doing this right? I don't think I can handle it. And what happens is you end up facing a lot of the thoughts that are whirling around your mind over and over, what they call the automatic pilot. And you start to be able to relate to little distractions, just letting them go by making peace with whatever comes up. It could be a pain in your knee. It could be a little headache. And instead of pushing these things away, the whole practice is 
can I just be with this disturbance right now? Can I welcome it? So the way that that helps me in my day-to-day life is there's a muscle in the brain that makes me less reactive. So if a patient comes in and I get frustrated, five years ago, I might have said something wrong, but now I recognize the frustration in my body. I call it out. I say to myself, I'm feeling frustrated. I take a nice deep breath. And then I just ground myself. I feel my body standing on the floor. I feel myself breathing. And I decide, who do I want to be in this next minute with this patient? And usually, I want to be the best version of myself. I want to be kind. I want to be the person who decided to be a doctor in the first place, not the frustrated guy who's had 101 things going on before I walked into the room. So that's how training the mind to become less reactive really helps me and also become more compassionate, which is what this is all about for me. It's not about meditation. It's about trying to be a better person. Well, that's that's fantastic, and I applaud you for doing it, and I envy your ability to do it. Just magnificent. Dr. Fisher, how do people learn more about you if they want to learn more about you? Oh, you can find me on LinkedIn under Jonathan Fisher, MD, F-A-C-C, or you can find me on Instagram at happyheartmd. Well, just fantastic. I will follow you. I see you on LinkedIn, and I'll follow you on Instagram. Just a pleasure to visit with you, Dr. Fisher. Just magnificent what you do. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate you.